This week on Mouse Flicks, Disney just showed Captain EO who's bad. I peer at Alice through the looking glass, and we've seen what she's done with ice, but what can Elsa do with rainbows? So silence your cell phones and settle in. You're listening to episode 14 of the Mouse Flicks podcast. Mouseflix is a fan-produced podcast dedicated to Disney film and entertainment. Lend us your ears for news, reviews, and commentary on the film House of Mouse. Mouseflix is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Company, Walt Disney Pictures, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, or their partners and subsidiaries. All opinions expressed via Mouseflix Media are solely those of the podcasters and do not represent the views of any other individual or entity. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mouseflix. I'm Kristen DiBiase, and at present, I have the boundless energy of a sloth on Valium. Send me sympathy kittens. But enough about me. Let's talk Mickey and the movies. Oh, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. It's time for News Nibbles. Bottoms up. Links are in the show notes, which you can find on the website at www.mouseflix.com. Michael Jackson is getting told to beat it. At Walt Disney World, Disney is shutting down Captain EO forever. For those who aren't in the know, Captain EO was a 15-minute 3D musical movie experience, starring Michael Jackson as a spaceship captain who defeats evil with the power of crotch-grabbing and hee-hee-hee-hee-hoo-woo! MJ did the music, and directing, producing, and special effects were helmed by Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas. This thing was a groundbreaking big deal back in the day. The experience first debuted at Epcot in 1986, and then was removed in 1994 and replaced with Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. After the untimely death of the King of Pop, nostalgia brought it back, and then it was shut down again for a while so Disney could use the space to show sneak previews for Tomorrowland. The show bounced back once more, but this time it's going away for good. On December 6th, the captain will do one last intergalactic dance-off before the attraction is replaced by the Disney and Pixar Short Film Festival. The new attraction takes three of Disney and Pixar's animated short films and turns them into a 4D experience. Think Stitch's Great Escape, except not sucky. I'm pouring one out for Captain EO. Seeing it for the first time is my favorite memory out of all of my visits to Epcot. I was either seven or eight. I still remember my little brother and I walking out of there totally jazzed afterward. Another part of me was playing, and we came out squinting into the sunlight all dizzy from the 3D glasses, hyped up, dancing and kicking like, yeah, that was awesome! I want to be Michael Jackson in space! Then, as 2010 me looked back at it as an adult, I was like, what the hell were they smoking when they made this? And Angelica Houston used to be sort of hot? Huh, who knew? If you can't get out to Disneyland but still want to ease your heartbreak, head over to the website for the show notes and a link to the original movie, as well as a hilarious parody that some 80s Disneyland cast members did while dressed up as fur characters, Captain Eeyore. 
The first time you see him bust an MJ dance move, you will lose your shiz. Looks like genies could possibly disappear in a puff of smoke. Disney's Aladdin sequel, prequel, who cares what it's called because it shouldn't be made anyway, why can't we leave well enough alone, dang it, is on ice after the discovery of a bombshell clause in actor Robin Williams' will. On inspection, looks like the late funny man's final wishes include a clause forbidding the use of his name, taped performances, or voice recordings for 25 years after his death. This restriction will protect his widow and three children from being hit with financial penalties on earnings that his estate will continue to accrue long after his death. But it also has the side effect of preventing Disney from using tons of his clips and outtakes in the new film. In the process of making Aladdin, Williams recorded hours upon hours of audio that was never used. His hilarious leftovers provided more than enough fodder to string together for the new movie. But we may not be completely in the clear. Disney already has a history of not respecting Robin Williams' wishes. Back in 1993, Williams put the mouse on blast for using his voice to sell Aladdin-related toys, contrary to an agreement he said they'd made. That beef is why he wasn't the voice of Genie in Return of Jafar. After Williams refused to do the second film, Disney was forced to find another Genie to fill his shoes. They made a great pick and chose the man of a billion Simpsons voices, Dan Castellaneta, but it still wasn't Williams. So, that could very well happen here. Disney could decide to go ahead with the project using a different voice actor. Before Williams decided he'd come back for Aladdin and the King of Thieves, they already had Dan lined up again. Regardless of what Disney ultimately decides to do, this was a smart, forward-thinking move on Robin Williams' part both to protect his family and prevent his creative legacy from being cheapened and used in a way he may not have wanted. Meanwhile, somewhere out there on somebody's hard drive, Hologram Tupac weeps quietly to himself. Star Wars hype is at a fever pitch right now, and the word of the day is more. You've got new clips that show more about Rey and Finn, a new TV spot, more of BB-8, we're hearing more about Poe Dameron and bad guy General Hux. There's more behind the scenes info with a short sneak peek hype piece on Disney XD. Leia's called General and isn't princess anymore. And people are still wondering how Luke Skywalker fits into the whole thing. I come from a place of wanting to be surprised. Early on, the little tidbits we were hearing were fun and titillating, but it's gotten to a place now where it's just getting too tell-all for my liking. I've reached a point where I don't even read anything Star Wars past the headlines, but there are still some good stories to be told. First off, you might remember me mentioning some of the privacy measures Disney's taking to head off leaks. Well, they just doubled down and took a major stand. In the interest of keeping things as close to the vest as possible, the studio has opted not to screen The Force Awakens early to awards groups, and they won't be doing early round advanced screenings for the press. One of the biggest award groups Disney is foregoing is the Screen Actors Guild. As other commenters have pointed out, this is a smart move. J.J. Abrams and the rest of the gang realize the possibility of getting an award is dwarfed by the chance of someone releasing spoilers and leaks. And they also know that whether or not the film wins an award is going to have a zero impact on an audience's decision to go see it. Something that would have an impact on opening weekend numbers is if the film got bad reviews from critics further in advance, which seems like a pretty good reason for limiting press access. So, Disney's locking it down. 
Second, did you know that Andy Serkis is in this? If you don't recognize his name, it might be because you more often than not don't have a face to put to it. He's an acclaimed actor and director, but he's started to become more well-known by today's clueless masses, aka me, as the super expressive go-to dude behind the CGI faces of several popular movie characters. This is the guy who played Caesar from the Planet of the Apes reboot. And Peter Jackson loves him so much, first he had Circus play Kong in his King Kong remake, and then made the awesome decision to cast him as everyone's favorite Lord of the Rings creeper, Gollum, AKA, my precious Smeagol. This time around, Circus will continue his motion capture mastery as a character called Supreme Leader Snoke. Last, Disney granted a man's final wish to see The Force Awakens a month in advance. A Texas man named Daniel Fleetwood was dying of cancer, and his doctors and family feared he wouldn't make it to December 18th, the scheduled release date for the film. As a result of concentrated efforts on his behalf, the 32-year-old fan was given exclusive access to a private screening of an unedited version of Episode 7. The fandom and people all over social media were instrumental in making his dream come true prior to his passing. They lobbied hard for him, flooding Twitter with the hashtag ForceForDaniel. Sadly, Fleetwood did die only a few days after the screening. In a statement on Facebook, his wife said he is now one with God and with the Force. On Friday, a coordinated terrorist attack in France involving shootings at Paris cafes, suicide bombings near the country's national stadium, and a mass murder inside a concert hall left at least 129 people dead and more than 350 injured. In the wake of the horrific attacks, Euro Disney, the operator of Disneyland Paris and Walt Disney Studios Park, closed both theme parks in observance of France's national mourning period and reopened today. This is an unwelcome reminder of when the Disney parks here in the U.S. closed on September 11th. Just like here, the mood in France's parks will likely be somber in the days that follow reopening. And there may be dismal attendance for a while, but it will be open as a symbol, a way to say that France won't shrink back in fear in the face of these detestable acts. And that, friends, is that. So here's an interesting bit of trivia. Johnny Depp initially thought he was going to get fired from Pirates of the Caribbean. Apparently, when he first started on the film, the Jack Sparrow character we all know and love was not well-received by Disney execs, in particular Michael Eisner. Depp's blend of Keith Richards meets Shifty Drunkard confused them and made them worry that he was going to tank the film. He said they were going to put subtitles on the screen during any of his scenes because they couldn't understand what his character was saying when he was speaking. Ugh. Can I just say, I think Michael Eisner is the worst. If you ever have time, read the book Disney War by James B. Stewart, and you can see dozens of examples why. Imagine if he had decided to lower the boom on Johnny Depp. The Pirates franchise has made over a billion dollars just here in the U.S. alone. I can't imagine anyone else playing that role. I don't know what ended up sparing him, but I think we all appreciate it. How else would we have had the pleasure of seeing Johnny Depp walk out drunk as a skunk when he got his Disney Legends Award at D23? And now, our feature presentation.
now death. So what's the latest with Frozen? Director Chris Buck and writer Jennifer Lee have been pretty mum on the topic, but they've indicated that they have developed a strong concept and are excited about it. In turn, that's sparked discussion among fans as to what that concept will be. At this point, there are two things that are certain. There will be more development of Elsa's character, and the film will advance a message. As has become the trend, Disney takes advantage of its popularity to introduce ideas to TV and movie audiences that are reflective of the current atmosphere. In the first Frozen film, there were the concepts of being yourself, being accepting of differences, and of course, poking a stick at the someone, a man, will rescue you mantras of yesteryear. Buck and Lee have said that the second Frozen will tackle issues that real people are experiencing and dealing with in society. They noted that because children will watch Disney films over and over, Disney would be missing out if the film didn't take the opportunity to instill a message. For individuals who feel like they're struggling to fit in, those who are coming into their own, or those learning who they are, the song Let It Go has become as much an anthem as the song Reflection did when it was introduced in the movie Mulan. The songs complement each other like two sides of a coin. One asks, when can I be myself? When can I truly be seen? And the other answers, right now. You have that power. You're the one who gives yourself that permission, so do it and screw anyone who says otherwise. These messages are dear to many people, but in particular, these themes have really resonated in the LGBTQ community. As speculation brews around the subject matter of the new Frozen film, there's excited conversation among fans that the atmosphere in Frozen 2 will be one that explicitly shows support of that group. When you take a look at various aspects of the Empire, there is evidence that Disney seems to embrace a culture of acceptance for LGBTQ individuals. One of the most influential individuals on three of Disney's biggest animated films was Howard Ashman, who was openly gay and died of AIDS in 1991. Along with Alan Menken, Ashman wrote the songs for The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin, and was also closely involved in the development, casting, and production of those films. In the employment realm, the Walt Disney Company has offered same-sex domestic partner benefits to its employees ever since 1996. Additionally, although they aren't official sponsors and don't promote the event, Disney is very aware of the Gay Days celebrations that take place at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. The event occurs in the summer and is typically four to five days long, and an estimated 50,000 attendees visit the Magic Kingdom on a specified date during the celebration. And last year, the company featured a lesbian couple on the Disney Channel show Good Luck Charlie. The couple were the mothers of one of Charlie's playmates. A Disney Channel spokesperson said that the episode was developed to be relevant to kids and families around the world and to reflect themes of diversity and inclusiveness. That language about relevance sounds similar to what Buck and Lee mentioned when discussing their plans for Frozen 2. In the face of that information, some fans have wondered whether Elsa might have a female love interest, or perhaps there will be a gay or lesbian individual among the characters. I think that's the direction they're going to go. My thought is that that episode of Good Luck Charlie was a litmus test to assess audience reaction to featuring a same-sex couple and then extrapolate that information to estimate whether it would be a success on a broader platform. I predict that Disney will feature a gay or lesbian character in Frozen 2. That said, I highly doubt that they'll give Elsa a female love interest. 
Very simply put, they're a publicly traded company. I don't think they're able to do it financially. There's a level of financial risk and reward tied to doing so. Disney already knows there's definitely going to be opposition if they feature an LGBTQ character. My thought is that they believe that the reward is going to outweigh the negatives tied to that opposition. They've looked at the numbers and decided that whatever percentage of revenue that might be lost based on their decision is an acceptable level. However, there would likely be more blowback and greater financial loss if a main protagonist character is gay or lesbian, which I think is a sad, sorry state of affairs, but which is still the case. Perhaps Disney considers that level of risk is too much for them at present. Every decision has financial implications, and I'm sure there has to be a certain amount that's the maximum loss they'll permit. What that magic number is for Disney, though, I have no idea. So, based on my prediction, you then have to wonder, who will this character be? Some think it'll be a new character, but I don't think so. I think it'll be a character that's already there, and that the character will be portrayed in the same manner as the lesbian couple in Good Look Charlie. It's just a normal person, no different than anyone else. That person just happens to be gay. And I think that character will be Oaken, the owner of Wandering Oaken's trading post and sauna. In a scene in the original Frozen, which you can view from a link in the show notes, Kristoff and Oaken haggle over the cost of supplies, and Oaken offers the use of his family's sauna. At that point, his family pops up through the steam to say hello. Woohoo! Hi, family! The group is made up of three children, a teenage girl, and one man, who was the center of the group. That looks to me like it's Oaken's partner and their four adopted children. So I think we'll see more of Oaken and his family in the next Frozen. I love seeing if my predictions come true. Until then, all we can do is wait. The official trailer for Alice Through the Looking Glass is out. Based on what we see, it seems that Alice has been away for quite a while, and bad things with the capital BT have taken place during her absence. One of those bad things is how she wasn't paying attention when someone snuck up on her and put her in a dress sewn out of Joseph's amazing Technicolor dream coat. The Mad Hatter, kooky as ever, is in trouble, and it's up to Alice to save him, but she has her work cut out for her when she has to face the baddie, Time. The White Queen looks like stress over the bad things has been keeping her up at night. My favorite part of the trailer is at the end, where Time gives the Queen of Hearts the perfect gift a music box with an executioner beheading someone in place of the typical ballerina. I'm going into this with an open and hopeful mind. I was excited to see the first one, and then was spectacularly underwhelmed. Alice in Wonderland had some high points, but overall it really plodded along in sort of a cloudy weirdness. Contrary to what his fervent following says, there really can be too much Tim Burton, Usually, he does his Tim Burtony thing and turns something normal into something interesting. But the problem in the last one was that the source material itself is already so strange, there wasn't really much room for him to go somewhere with it. I felt it was lackluster. And so, imagine my surprise when I discovered that it grossed over $334 million at the box office. Numbers like that practically guarantee a follow-up. And well, here we are. The trailer has drawn me in. I've already watched it four times. I really am rooting for this one and hoping that it's what the last one should have been. 
Remember that one time when someone asked me a question? Yeah, me either. That's how long it's been. This is why you should leave me a voicemail with your burning questions, comments, and ideas on my new listener line. Look alive, people. You just might get featured on an episode. On the website, look for the listener line link on the right side of the page or head directly to www.speakpipe.com slash mouseflixline. It's simple. You can do it right from your computer. And that's a wrap. Mouseflix is a production of Mouseflix Media and is produced by me, Kristen DiBiase. The Mouseflix podcast theme features music by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. To all of you out there in the world or the land, thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. Tell your friends, yell it from the rooftops, and most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Comments, questions, or suggestions? Email us at mouseflix at gmail.com. Find us on the web at www.mouseflix.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mouseflix. And tweet us at mouseflixcast on Twitter. We'll talk to you soon. And remember, popcorn's always better with a little pixie dust. So yeah, Fallout 4 just came out, and Jason's been glued to our couch whenever he isn't working or sleeping. I've gotta say, the game is pretty cool. I mean, it's no Kingdom Hearts or anything, but it's pretty awesome.